welcome to the 491st episode of Travel Witch Radio. I'm your host, Dan Schlossberg, along with co-host Mary Ellen Nugent-Glee, and we're in the 12th season of Travel Witch Radio, the show that lets you enjoy the pleasures of travel from the comfort of your armchair. Every week at this time, we talk to people representing destinations, hotels, airlines, railroads, car rental companies, and others in the world of travel and hospitality, from authors and bloggers to broadcasters and publicists. If it's got anything to do with travel, it's got everything to do with Travel Itch Radio. And tonight, we welcome Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights to Travel Itch Radio. Welcome, Rory. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the chance to chat with you both. Rory, what are the goals of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights? For those who who might not have heard of uh, the museum yet, we are based in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. We're one of Canada's national museums. We showcase the human journey so far, looking at the stories of human rights champions and defenders from around the world, but with a particular focus on Canada, with the goal ultimately of inspiring visitors who come in person to the museum or folks who, who visit our website online who do one of our uh, our, our education programs for adults or for youth uh, to inspire those individuals to find some way in their own communities to take action for human rights and to make a difference. When did the museum open and how many visitors do you get each year? So the museum was, was uh, opened our doors in 2014. So we're, we're, we're quickly coming up on our 10th anniversary. Um, and we, we were conceived a little bit earlier than that, became a national museum in 2008, and we launched that consultation process to try to determine what would go in the museum and how we would tell stories, what we would look like uh, in those intervening years. Um, but since 2014, with the exception of the pandemic, we've, we've typically welcomed about 300,000 visitors a year. And what I'm particularly proud of, you know, one of the things that really inspires me is that we, we welcome almost 30,000 students to our education programs every year. And so that's in person at the museum, either through one of about of a dozen, dozen or so school programs that we offer um, or through one of our virtual tours. So for, for folks listening in the New York area, um, they could certainly come to the museum through one of our virtual tours. Classrooms from all around the world have explored the museum with one of our expert guides. Um, but we also have a whole, whole range of educational programs that can be used uh, by teachers in the classrooms as well, a dedicated curriculum that sort of expands the reach. And, and we, we think about a visitor often just as somebody who walks through our door. But, you know, what, what a visitor means to us is really somebody that we reach, somebody that we're able to inspire, somebody who comes, comes in contact with some of our content and goes through that process of transformational learning that, that changes someone from a bystander who watches human rights violations happen, who looks at discrimination or racism, and thinks that it's inevitable to people who are upstanders, who realize that you know, ultimately, if we want to live in a world that's free of discrimination, if we want to live in a world where we're all protected and defended by human rights, then we all have a responsibility to do our part in whatever way we can to help that world become a reality for everyone. Rory, we understand it's Canada's first national museum ever located outside the national capital region and the first national museum of any kind in Canada since 1967. Is that correct? So you know, one of the great things to me about, about Canada is that we have a huge array of provinces, territories, people. Um, you can come to Canada and, and drive for a few days and not reach the other side of it, much like the United States. 
you know, it's a, it's a real privilege to live in this country and, and, and you know, the, the, the diversity of provinces that you can explore while you're here is, is really special. And, you know, most of the Canada's national museums are located in Ottawa, right? That, that must be familiar to, to, to folks in the United States as well. Washington is a huge hub of, of national museums in the United States as well. So, so we're no different than that. Um, but what, what, is, what is unique about us, as you mentioned, is that we're the first national museum opened outside of the Ottawa region. We're based in Winnipeg, which, is, which, which we think about as the gateway to Western Canada in the province of Manitoba. Um, and so it's a, it's a really important thing, I think, when you have a country that's as big as, as big as Canada, both in terms of population, but maybe more so even in terms of geography, that we place these symbols of national identity, these, 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 these places where folks can come to consider what it truly means to be Canadian. Uh, in places that are outside of outside of the Ottawa region, and it, but in fact, since, since we've opened our doors uh, in 2014, uh, the museum of the National Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 opened in Halifax just just recently. Uh, so that's the second national museum um, in Canada to be opened outside of the, the Capitol Museum. The Museum of Immigration at Pier 21 is fantastic as well. I encourage everyone to visit. Um, and it, ultimately, it's great to to, to be able to look at some of these national institutions, you know, while you're in Western Canada, while you're going through Manitoba, um, just like it is for visitors who are out in Halifax at the Immigration Museum. Your museum is a stunning design. Wasn't it the product of an international architectural competition? Yeah, absolutely. So th throughout the, uh, the 20 aughts, um, there was a, an international architectural competition that was adjudicated by some of the early visionaries behind the museum, uh, and that the design that was ultimately chosen was created by uh, an architect from New Mexico named Antoine Predock. Um, and so it was selected through a competitive architectural process, and it's a, it is a, it's completely unique. Uh, it incorporates you know, these beautiful metaphors for our journey from human rights into the actual construction of the building itself. One of the things that I think most folks listening might be able to conceive of is if we think about the journey from a world where people are not protected by human rights towards a world where people are protected by human rights, we at the museum think about that journey as one from darkness to light, from the darkness of human rights violations and hopelessness towards the light of not just a world where everyone is protected and empowered, but a world where everyone takes it upon themselves to defend rights for everyone else. And we think about what does it mean to be hopeful in the, in, the, in the 21st century? What does it mean to be hopeful in today's day and age? And I think a lot of people get into a bit of a funk when we, when we notice or we perceive a greater levels of conflict in society. But, but to me and to the museum, you know, hopelessness is not found in, in greater recognition of, our, of uh, systemic you know, racism, hopelessness is not found in greater recognition of things that need to change in our society. Hopelessness is found when people stop caring and stop investing in making progress. And so that's, uh, Roy, that's that journey Roy, from darkness uh, to light. Roy, I need to ask you to please keep your answers very concise. We're never going to get through the whole show, okay, if you don't mind. Okay. No when problem. most Americans think about Canada, they think Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and maybe Quebec City. How did this museum wind up in Winnipeg, way out west in Manitoba? Sure. So the, the museum was, was, was uh, first envisioned by uh, some prominent Winnipeggers, led by a guy named Israel Asper, who was a media mogul. And Izzy Asper had the vision for this institution. Uh, and he's a proud Winnipegger, and the Aspers have invested a huge amount of resources and energy into the Winnipeg 
community, and particularly the Winnipeg Arts community and its museums. And so that's that's how we came to came to be located here in Winnipeg. We're talking with Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Rory, even the Queen was involved with Queen Elizabeth II unveiling the cornerstone with a personal message a few months before the building was completed. When did it actually open? So our building opened in September of 2014 was when when we officially opened our doors. Hmm. And how much did it cost and who paid for it? So the museum was built at a total cost of $351 million, which you can really see in the incredible materials which come from all over the world uh, to make it a truly unforgettable architectural and design experience. We're also really fortunate to have been uh, the focus of one of the largest fundraising initiatives ever in Canadian history uh, with for, for, a, for a national museum with $151 million coming from private donors, uh, over 8,000 individual private donors to help, to help offset the, the total cost of construction. And we hear it will cost the Canadian government $22 million a year to run it. Is that cost worth it? We certainly think so. You know, any, any museum is, is always going to have a, have a cost associated with it. Museums aren't free, uh, just like anything else in society. If we want to have these places where we can reflect not only on what it means to be Canadians, but, but on what it means to be a society that respects everybody's rights to live free and equal, um, then, then you know, it's good, to, it's good to put some money behind that. It's good to put our money where our mouth is. We want to be a society that, that, that protects and defends human rights, and the museum is, is part of that. What will visitors find inside, Rory? We know they descend into the earth and emerge into the Great Hall, then through roots up a network of spaces and ramps. There's a Hall of Hope and a Garden of Contemplation, plus a landmark glass spire that provides views of downtown Winnipeg. That's right. And, and, and once you're through there, um, you'll enter into our core galleries, which start with this fundamental question of what are human rights? looking at these core ideas of human rights, and then progressing through indigenous conceptions of human rights, Canadian journeys, the Canadian legal system. We examine human rights defenders, ultimately people who've inspired and created change, and finally visitors will finish in the Israel Asper Tower of Hope with a truly unforgettable view of Winnipeg. Correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but the Canadian, Rory, but the Canadian Museum of Human Rights has 10 galleries with the largest devoted to Canadian content. Would you explain that? Yeah, that's correct. And we also have a few, a few rotating temporary galleries that, that may or may not have uh, content in it when visitors come to visit, as well as a few new spaces where we're hoping to bring in more and more voices from folks wanting to share stories about human rights. Um, and so while our mandate takes us around the world uh, and brings stories to our visitors from around the world, we do have a special focus uh, on Canada. And that the marquee gallery you're referring to is called Canadian Journeys. And it's a, a truly stunning experience that takes visitors through a number of important uh, Canadian human rights stories that, that affect us every day. We're talking with Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Rory, does your museum use movies or multimedia presentations to tell the story? Yeah, to be sure, we have we have hundreds of hours of digital content built into built into our galleries, and so visitors who want to come, particularly with kids. If you've got young people in your family who are used to interacting with screens, uh, the museum is a great place to visit because it can help you, you know, reach them in a way that, that sort of works for them, that, that, that it feels intuitive. 
Uh, but for folks who prefer kind of built-in content as well, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a wide selection of that in the museum as well. We want to we help people look at, look at these important exhibits and important ideas, but then also give them digital kiosks, give them films, give them ways to explore deeper to the stories that connect with them. Hmm. And wasn't the inspiration for the structure taken from the natural scenery and open spaces of Manitoba, as well as the trees, the icy landscape, the northern lights? Yeah, to, to be sure, like if you, if you visit Winnipeg, if, you, if any of your visitors come to, come to visit us here in Winnipeg, you'll notice the building like rising up out of the ground and using mm-hmm. what, one of my favorite things, which is natural tindal stone, um, which is, which is a, this beautiful sort of pale stone that is encrusted with all kinds of fossils and figures. And it can only be mined in a few places in the world, and, and Manitoba is one of them. So it's, it's definitely a place that is you know, of the environment that it's in today. As a world-class museum, has it brought more tourists to Winnipeg? Yeah, about 70% of our visitors uh, come from outside of, outside of Winnipeg. Uh, and so that's, it's a huge, it's huge way that we've been able to reach out to the world and, and put Winnipeg on the map. Once our listeners, you're listening to Travelift Radio, now in our 12th season, approaching our 500th episode with Dan Schlossberg and Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee. Check us out on iTunes or blogtalkradio.com or visit the Travelers Radio Facebook page. And we're talking tonight with Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Rory, the museum covers such topics as the Holocaust, the Holodomor, and the genocides of Armenia, Rwanda, and Bosnia. That begs the question, where did you find the artifacts in your collection? The artifacts that people will find in the museum, you know, truly come from around the world. You know, there's a, a wonderful network of other museums, of heritage associations, of archival societies that are caring for objects that are so important in the history of some of the genocides that you mentioned, but, but also in, you know, from people who, you know, whose relatives may have or who they may self have been, been sort of advocates for human rights who, who have been taking action in important moments, iconic moments that we remember today. And so oftentimes when, you know, the artifacts that people will find in the museum will actually just come from individuals themselves who will raise their hand and say, hey, I, I have this important story and it, and it should be shared with visitors and here's one of the ways that, that I can help you share it. And so oftentimes we, we do find, you know, artifacts coming from, from private, private donations to the museum. But that said, I think, you know, our museum is primarily digital. We really want to emphasize being able to share stories digitally, both through our website and in our gallery. And you mentioned that Canadian concerns are also covered, um, like forced Japanese relocation, Chinese head tax, the Underground Railroad, missing and murdered Aboriginal women. And so don't you have separate galleries for Canadian journeys and Indigenous perspectives? We do. We have both of those galleries are, are sort of core galleries to, to the museum. All visitors will go through a gallery called Indigenous Perspectives that talks about indigenous ways of knowing, indigenous language, indigenous sovereignty and relationship to land and water. Um, and those, that's, a, that's a, a massively important gallery for all visitors to go through. But that being said, we have indigenous stories as well as obviously Canadian stories woven through every gallery in the museum. So, so we really try to incorporate Canadian stories and indigenous perspectives in everything we do. What about LGBTQ and transgender issues? Are any groups of people who suffered persecution or discrimination mentioned in your museum? 
Absolutely. So we have uh, one of the niches that often draws visitors is a wedding cake niche in the Canadian Journeys Gallery that shares mm. the photographs of same-sex couples who were uh, able to be married in Canada after it was uh, made legal by the Canadian government. And that's such a hopeful, optimistic, positive niche that's in the museum. And we're also doing more work now to, to better incorporate trans issues into our gallery. Uh, and that, that work is ongoing now with a sort of a vibrant oral history program that we're looking towards uh, incorporating into an exhibition we have coming up in 2024, which is, called, which is about the, the purge of the firing of uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and two-spirit uh, civil servants in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. Lori, controversy flared the minute you opened with Palestinians objecting to the emphasis on the Holocaust and the establishment of Israel as one example, and the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress complaining about an alleged overemphasis on Jewish and indigenous suffering, while other calamities such as the Holodomor were minimized. Have those issues been resolved? You know, Dan, I think opening a national museum, particularly one on an issue as contentious as human rights, is going to have some bumps in the road. And there's no doubt that the museum could have approached some of those issues in a better way. But that being said, you know, you, you, you might remember that uh, February 24th, next Friday, is the one-year anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine. And we're really mm -hmm. thrilled that the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress has chosen the museum as the site of their one of the major rallies they're doing across Canada to raise awareness and draw attention to the issue. Um, and those, import, those, those, those relationships are so important to us, both with the Palestinian community and with the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, bo both communities that we work with uh, very recently and, and also over the years to help better share their human rights stories with the world. What about the location of the museum in the Forks, an important archaeological site for First Nations and Indigenous peoples? Yeah, I mean, the, the Forks is massively interesting. For those who might not be aware, it's, it's where the Red and Assiniboine Rivers come together, and, and that, that, that confluence of those two important waterways has been the site of Indigenous settlement for many, many thousands of years. Um, and the archaeological dig that was done at the museum at the site of the Forks was one of several that have happened around the Forks area, uncovering incredibly rich evidence of Indigenous indigenous existence on these lands uh, for thousands of years. And, and we know that that is so important to, 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 to both do a better job of, of sharing the platform of the museum with indigenous communities to, to, to help more people understand uh, their, their true history on these lands, how long they have been here, and, and the, the rich and vibrant societies that, that were here before settlers were. The Winnipeg Free Press once wrote, that there should be less arguing about what atrocity or human rights issue was covered and more about the prevention of such events happening again. Does the museum address that concern? I think, I think that's at the core of what we do. You know, we, we, we often talk that we're not the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. We're the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. We exist not just to help people learn, but we exist on a fundamental level to prevent these, human, these atrocities, these human rights violations from happening ever again. And you'll see that woven throughout all our content, Dan. That, 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 is, that is woven into how we tell stories. It's woven into how we try to inspire people and reach people, particularly young people. So I, 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 I absolutely agree with that assertion, and I think you know, you, you'll find that everywhere in the museum if, uh, if, if we ever get you visiting. Hmm. We're talking with Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg. 
Roy, what about such hot-button issues as abortion and birth control? How has the Canadian Museum for Human Rights addressed those, especially sending speakers to public and religious schools? Certainly. I mean, in, in Canada, to, to be honest with you, I think that the, the issues of abortion and birth control are not, not as controversial as they might be in the United States. Um, mm. Abortion in Canada is an issue of, of health care. Um, it, isn't, it isn't spoken to in the same kind of way as it is in, uh, in legal documents or judicial decisions, and in some cases in the United States, in actual constitutional articles. Um, so I think, you know, in Canada we have, there's, there's a broad acceptance of both of birth control and abortion as being important health services that everyone with a reproductive system should be able to, to access. And, you know, not every school program will, will speak about those issues, for example, um, but we don't shy away from, from those important conversations. We want to be a place where conversations about rights and freedoms can happen, and, and especially when they are difficult subjects, that they, they, they can take place here. Hmm. So now next year will be the museum's 10th anniversary. Has it had its intended effect of revitalizing downtown Winnipeg? You know, Winnipeg is a fantastic place to visit. It's a real joy. Uh, and I think the museum is one of the cornerstone institutions that people want to visit. It's right downtown at the Forks. You can't miss it. You can see it from all angles. And uh, I think a lot of people might have an impression of Winnipeg that, that's a bit outdated. You know, it's, it's, it's a really vibrant Metro, like cosmopolitan city with fantastic food. It's got fantastic museums, not just us, but also the Winnipeg Art Gallery and Kamiuk, the brand new Inuit Art Center at the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Um, you know, these are, these, are, these are iconic institutions. Everyone should visit. They're things you can only do here. Can't do these things anywhere else in the world. And so I think, you know, the Winnipeg is definitely a part of, part of that revitalization story. Now, aside from the online people, how many visitors actually come through the doors each year, and where do they come from? Are they mainly Canadian, or where do they come from? Well, about 70% of our visitors come from outside of Winnipeg, as I mentioned, and the bulk of those, those visitors do come from other places in Canada, but you know, we do see a really significant percentage of our visitors coming internationally, and the United States is, is the bulk of, of where we welcome international visitors from. Hmm. The museum has won 14 major prizes. Could you talk about some of them? You know, when we opened in 2014, we were, we were you know, really privileged to win several uh, awards for the accessibility of the museum. And so one of, one of the things I'd like to emphasize to folks is that um, being a new building, we were able to construct it with the latest sensibilities about accessibility in mind. So from, you know, how spaces are laid out to ensuring there's no curbs anywhere in the building to the way the washrooms are set out, the height of counters, railing heights throughout the building, the use of um, uh, dev devices to assist those who are hearing impaired or visually impaired. You know, these, these are all accessibility features that are built into the museum. We've been fortunate to win several awards for those features, and it, it's one of the things I like to emphasize. Like if, if someone is listening right now and wondering, you know, well, I, I'm, I'm partially deaf or I'm partially blind or, or what have you, you know, will I be able to come to the museum and experience it? You know, the answer is absolutely yes. That's great to know. What accounts for the increasing rate of hate crimes, racism, and xenophobia in North America? And how does the Canadian Museum for Human Rights try to expose it? Well, I mean, Dan, that, that, that's a complicated question, probably, probably a little bit longer than we have time for right now. But certainly, 
you know, we can look at recently and, and understand that the pandemic has absolutely had an impact on this. Uh, you know, the, the sense of isolation that people feel, anger at having forces that they, have, they perceive to be beyond their control shaping their lives is, is one of the things that, that, you know, often gets pointed to when we think about, you know, what causes someone to hate someone else. Um, and so, you know, I don't have all the answers to that question, but, but definitely I can tell you that, you know, these issues are not issues of the past, as we know. Um, we're seeing it in the United States all the time with racially motivated shootings being some of the most horrific stories that we hear about on the news. And ultimately, you know, our message to, to folks is that th there's a core idea in human rights, which is that everyone is born free and equal in dignity and rights. Everyone deserves protection. Everyone should have the right to live in dignity and peace to define for themselves the meaning of the good life and how it is they want to pursue it. And if we hold that principle in our hearts, then it will be impossible for us to ignore some of the signs of hate, uh, some of the signs that, that someone might be uh, at risk of committing a hate crime. And so, you know, that's, that's where it get, gets back to what I've been talking about, which is that we all have a responsibility to, to be vigilant, to be thoughtful, to be watching out for such, such incidents and trying to help prevent them before they happen. We're talking with Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights. Rory, is it fair to say the museum covers not only humans' bad behavior, but also milestones in human rights achievements in Canada and worldwide, as well as current debates about human rights and events where Canada missed the boat and actually betrayed human rights or failed to commit to them? One of the things that you'll um, hear about is, if you visit the museum, is that we share important stories of human rights moments through the lens of, of personal stories, through the lens of people. Mm -hmm. And most of those people that you'll hear about in the museum are those human rights defenders, are those people who've taken it upon themselves to make a difference. And so, you know, when we think about milestones in human rights achievements, so often, you know, we talk about documents, we talk about, you know, the Universal Declaration for Human Rights, for example, um, certainly any number of constitutional documents, uh, the Bill of Rights in the United States, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada, these are all part of our human rights, part of the landscape of human rights law. But it's not the documents, it's the people. And those milestones of achievement that we, that we think about alongside the dark moments, the moments where we fail to live up to those ideals are shared alongside each other in our galleries. Ultimately, you know, we are a hopeful experience. Mm. Tell us about the connection between the museum and Magna Carta, which was sealed the year 1215. So for, for your listeners who might not know, the Magna Carta was a, a document that limited the divine right of kings and queens uh, in Britain at the time. And it, it is looked at as being one of the, one of the first... Um, achievements, one of the first agreements that sort of put us on this road to uh, to, to a world where everybody's rights are defended and, 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 and protected as being equal, where we are all perceived as being equals, where we, we don't live in a world of kings and queens and uh, where there's one set of laws for one people and another set of laws for, for another people. So the Magna Carta is that document. We're fortunate to have uh, one of uh, one of the stones from the uh, the area in Britain called Runnymede, where the Magna Carta was first signed, mm -hmm. on display in the museum, which was gifted to us by Queen Elizabeth II. And she, as you mentioned, she came here to Winnipeg uh, and uh, helped consecrate it here in the museum. Okay, how did travelers learn more about the Canadian Museum for Human Rights? Well, you can check us out anytime online. We're at uh, humanrights.ca. 
Our guest tonight has been Rory McLeod of the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg. Thank you so much, Rory, for being our guest on Travelwatch Radio. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. And with spring training just days away, but the worst of winter still ahead, there's no better time than now to curl up in front of the fire with a good baseball book. Like my book, The New Baseball Bible, Notes, Nuggets, Lists, and Legends from Our National Pastime, 480 oversized pages for a sawbox. Such a deal. Get it tonight from Amazon.com. That's The New Baseball Bible with Mike Trout on the cover. And that's it for this edition of Travel Witch Radio. Now, this is Dan Schlossberg, along with Mary Ellen Nugent-Lee, saying thank you for your time this time. Until next time, when we'll talk with Tracy Silverberg about city experiences by Hornblower. So for now, good night and stay safe.